You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. How are you guys doing this morning? Are you alright? Are you awake? I don't know if it's me. It could just be me. Um, but you all feel a little bit quiet today. Yeah? And sometimes there's mornings where it's a bit cold and everyone feels a bit sleepy and uh, get your jackets on. And I want to encourage you to, uh, to use your voice this morning. Sing a new song to the Lord. <laughs> Elodie does like singing kids songs. I have to, have to just throw her in the deep end there. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what it means or what it looks like to be a priesthood of all believers. It's a very biblical term. Um, if you're new and you haven't found that phrase in the Bible, it's about being a people who are set apart to serve Jesus, that we're priests, as in the, the picture of the, like, the Old Testament, those who would come and, and offer sacrifices and minister to God. Um, we looked at this scripture last week, and I want to read it again to you in 1 Peter 2, verse 5 to 9. It talks about being a priesthood. It's who we are. It says, it says this in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, or it says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, it's talking about Jesus, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, uh, has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you have received, sorry, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Powerful passage with a depth of meaning that I don't think we always get. I think often we can read the Bible and we can read over things and we, we, we read it, but we don't realize the power in what we're reading and what it speaks to who we are, to our identity, to what we've been called to. See, the Old Testament priests were chosen by God for, for a purpose, and the purpose was this, to serve him with their lives by offering sacrifice. So when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, the Bible says that we become priests with the purpose of serving him with our lives by offering him a sacrifice of our lives and of our worship. In the Old Testament, the, the, the priesthood was a picture or, or, or a type of the coming ministry of Jesus. So Jesus came so that we would be set free, but not just that we'd be set free, but that we would have a new identity, that we would become priests. He came to set us free for a purpose. Once he came, that picture of the Old Testament priesthood was no longer needed. It was fulfilled in him, and we step into that role. In the Old Testament, just as the priest offered sacrifices and served Jesus, in the new covenant that we are in now, 
we're called as Christians, as those chosen by God, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter 2 speaks of two aspects of our priesthood, two aspects of what we're called to. The first is that the, uh, as believers, there is a privilege. We, we are a privileged people. The second is that because of that privilege, we have a responsibility. Last week, we started by looking at the privilege of priesthood, the privilege that we have of being a priest to serve our king. If we don't start with privilege, if we don't start by understanding the privilege of what we have in Jesus, we fall into the trap of thinking that our service or our sacrifice is somehow earning us our position or our favor in Christ. The privilege of priesthood is that we have direct access to the presence of God. We have equal access. We don't have to come through a music team or through a priest or through a pastor. You, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, have direct access to the very presence of the creator God. The privilege of priesthood is that we're adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. We have equal value. There's nobody, I think this is such a key point and I got sidetracked on it last week and I'm going to get sidetracked on it again because everything in our culture says that different people carry different value. But in the kingdom, in Jesus, we all have equal value as sons and daughters in the family of God. Olaf doesn't have any more value than you. I don't have any more value than you because I get to stand up here and preach sometimes. We all have equal value in God. Your calling is as equal in value to my calling. The privilege of priesthood is that we have an inheritance with Jesus guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. We have an inheritance, and the privilege is that we become part of the display of his splendor. If you weren't here last week, and I don't, you know, I don't like kind of going, oh, listen to my preach, because it wasn't about my preach. But if you weren't here last week, I'm going to say this. Please listen to the preach, because what I want to preach this week is two sides of the same coin. And if you don't understand the privilege, we fall into this, this, uh, this or we don't start with the privilege, we fall into the temptation of thinking that if I do these things that we're going to talk about today, I'm somehow earning greater value. I'm somehow earning position. I'm somehow, God's going to be, uh, be, be, he's going to love me more. He's going to be, uh, you know, he's going to be more accepting of who I am. So we have to start with this thing of the privilege of priesthood. And if we don't start with that, we'll try and work or earn our way towards the fullness of what God's called us to as a priesthood. But on the other side of that, if we only stop at the privilege of priesthood, we can be tempted to lean toward the individual. If we only stop at the privilege of priesthood, we get stuck into the trap of consumerism. It becomes all about me. It becomes all about who, uh, you know, only who I am. So we have to understand that in Jesus we have full access to his presence, that we have identity, that we're part of his family, that we have an inheritance. But we also have to understand that we've been added together to a body. It's not just about me. It's not just about what makes me feel good. It's not just about my position. We have to understand that, but it has to go beyond that because we've been saved for a purpose. We're priests with a privilege for a purpose of ministering to Jesus and showing him to those around us. 
We can be tempted to view priesthood through the Western lens of individualism, what I get. And we lose the fact that the kingdom never stops with the individual. There's an individual response, but the kingdom never stops only with me. It always goes beyond me. See, nowhere in the, in, in the culture of the Bible, nowhere in the culture of the time did individualism come into, come into that thinking. But in our culture, we're kind of locked into this thinking of it's just about me. To be honest, even in other cultures in our modern time, if you look at um, Asian culture or, or many other, other cultures, um, individualism is not like the, the overriding idea of their culture. It's actually more about family. It's more about community. It's more about a people together. But for some reason in Western culture, I think it's one of the ploys of the enemy to get us away from a kingdom value, is that, that the Western culture is all about the individual. It's all about me. It's all about uh, what I have. It's all about who I am and how much I can get. And, I, and even if I get it at the expense of the person next to me, as long as I'm happy and I feel like I'm fulfilled and I feel like I have what I need, then it doesn't really matter. But it flies in the face of kingdom. Because kingdom is always about more than just myself. My salvation is about more than just myself. My position in Christ starts with me going, thank you, Jesus, that, that I'm a son and that you've adopted me and that I have identity in you. But it never stops just there. What you find is that the mark of maturity of a believer is understanding that it is more than just me. As many believers, and I think we have to get this thing of identity. That's why I'm laboring it. We have, we have to understand it. And many believers are stuck in the place of not knowing who they are in Christ. They've never grasped identity. They're not living in that place as a son or daughter of the living king that has an inheritance, that has a purpose to display his splendor. We get stuck in that thing. And many, even probably in this room today, that's where you're at. But the mark of maturity is understanding that and moving beyond that into it's not just about me, it's about others. I've said this before, and, and, and I, just, uh, I think it's a very interesting uh, look or reminder that through the season of COVID where there is a lot of stuff going on, and I get that you know, there was difficult times and there was difficult decisions and things happening. But in our community, in our context here, I can't speak for outside, but in our context, those who handled that time the best were those who had an outlet to serve others, care others, and were thinking about others. Those who found it the most difficult for whatever reason, and I'm not commenting on the reasons, were those who, for, for, for whatever reason, couldn't see beyond how is this affecting me. It's an interesting mark of maturity. In Bible times is always about a community, family, together, a bride, a tribe, a body, a priesthood. It was always together that allowed the fullness of God's splendor to be displayed. Think about this. Even, in, even when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room, they were together in the upper room. God could have poured his spirit out on all the, all the individual disciples wherever they were. Have you ever thought about that? Why didn't he do that? Because there's something about being together. 
There's something about the display of his splendor. He came upon a people. The privilege of priesthood means that there's also a responsibility. See, equal access and equal value, and we have to start with that place, but we don't stop there. Equal access and equal value means equal responsibility. So this week I want to unpack a little bit the responsibility of priesthood. And again, if you weren't here last week, please go back. Please, uh, if you're not going to go back and listen to last week's, then maybe you should go. Like maybe go and come back after I preach. Um, because uh, honestly, if you don't go listen to last week's, you're going to feel like I'm putting law on you. You're going to feel like, oh, you know, talking about responsibility and, you know, ooh. And the, you know, but in light of the privilege, there comes a responsibility. So just asking, can we do a deal? If you weren't here last week, go listen to it. Um, and then you can stay and listen to this week, yeah? Okay. Listen again. See, the, the second aspect of priesthood is that we're chosen for a purpose. We're chosen to offer spiritual sacrifices. We're chosen, he, Hebrews 13 says, to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, sorry, that was Peter. He, Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 16 says this. Through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, a fruitfulness. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sons and daughters carry responsibility. The more mature we are, the more, respons the, the more responsibility we're expected to carry. The only people in a family who don't have to do anything are babies. Don't point at Amy. She's not a baby. <laughs> the only people in a household, in a family, that don't have any responsibility are newborn babies. Why? Because they can't do anything. They literally just sleep, eat, and poop. And cry. And then they, but they grow. The thing is that they're growing. There's an expectation of growth. If Sam Zanardo was still like a baby, wearing nappies, asking Paul to carry him around everywhere, <laughs> something would be wrong. Yet we, we actually allow that to become the normal for many believers. 20-year-old believers who are still acting like newborn babies. Is that too much? You guys all right? You still there? See, I expect Hugo to be more responsible than Henry. Hugo's 12, Henry's 8, because he's more mature. But Henry still has to carry responsibility. It's different than when they're going to be 20 or as an adult. Of course it's different, because he's only 8, but there's still responsibility. Sons and daughters carry responsibility. We see we have direct access to the presence of God. And Jesus' sacrifice has made a way for us once and for all, but our response, our responsibility from that place of direct access, our first responsibility is to keep the fire going at all times. We can go, wow, I have direct access to the presence of God and talk about it and think about it and tell everyone else, else we have it, but never actually come into his presence. Our first responsibility as priests is to keep the fire going. In Leviticus 6, verse 12 to 13, we have a responsibility to come into his presence. 
says this, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. He shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn it to the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Remember, the Old Testament is a picture of what we're talking about now. The altar is our lives. The fire now is not an actual fire. It's his presence. One of the responsibilities of the Old Testament priests was to keep the fire on the altar burning at all times. It's kind of what they existed for. Our responsibility as a kingdom of priests is to keep the fire burning at all times. We have to steward ourselves. And that's the mark of maturity. It's not just talking about the access we have, but actually stepping into his presence. Actually staying close to him. Matthew 3, 3 verse 11. Jesus says, I baptize you, oh sorry, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with the water of repentance, but he who is coming after me, talking about Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He could have just said he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, it says that it, it, it appeared as if tongues of fire rested upon their head. I don't, think it was, I don't know if it was actual fire, if there was heat from it, but the, when the Spirit came, it appeared as if, as if fire came and rested on each of them. There's something about staying full of the presence of God and staying close to His presence, close to Him, that's equated in Scripture with fire or with being white hot, with being on fire. So the picture of a, a, if, if you've ever built a fire, and I love building fires and like watching the fire and the, have the fire pit going. But you can actually take a log out of the fire, set it aside, and it will go out. But when you have a fire and you keep pushing the, the logs into it, they keep burning, they keep staying hot. And there's nothing, I, I think, more enjoyable than sitting there and like pushing sticks into the fire, just watching them burn. But there's this picture of our lives, and the, the closer we stay to the presence of God, and we have to, this is, you have to take responsibility for this. I can't do this for you. The more on fire, the more, the more, uh, the, 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 yeah, the more passionate we are, the more, um, the more white hot we are. But if you take yourself away from that, if you don't steward that, if we don't keep the fire going, we become cold. If we're going to keep the fire going, we have a responsibility to stay close to the heart of God and his presence. We have a responsibility to spend time in his word so that we know his heart. We have a responsibility to spend time in prayer and worship. We have a responsibility to deal ruthlessly with anything that would take us away from his heart or that would dampen the fire or take us away from the fire. Gabby always says this, and I, and I love it. It's one of my favorite phrases. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. You, sir or ma'am, you can have as much of Jesus as you want. How much of him do you want? A lot of us say, oh, no, I, I want all of him. A lot of us say that. But then we actually take no responsibility to steward ourselves. Oh, Jesus, I want more of you. And we cry out, God, give me more of you. And he says, would you spend time with me? And we go, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. We're a bit busy today. 
We have a responsibility as priests to keep the fire going and nobody else can do it for you. It takes discipline. It's not a coincidence that the word discipline and the word disciple come from the same root word. Because disciples are those who discipline themselves to stay close to Jesus. To keep the fire going in their life. To, to be discipled is not just to tick the box of I go to a group sometimes. It's to become more like Jesus. We want to help each other in our groups or in our discipleship relationships. Not, not just to know more, to become like Jesus. You can know every scripture. There's people, honestly, I've, I have friends who know the Bible better than me, who can quote scripture better than I can, but don't know Jesus. We can argue points of theology, but not know Jesus. We have a responsibility to keep the fire going, to stay close to his heart. Secondly, we have a responsibility to minister to him. Before we get to anything of ministering to each other, before we get to serving, before we get to any of the other stuff, all, it's always for him. It's always about him. If I serve in a church meeting, if I serve somebody on the street, it's not just to serve others, it's always about serving him. Everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Our first ministry is to Jesus, it's to his presence. He loves nothing more than being with you. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that Jesus doesn't love being with you. He gave his life so that he can spend, so he can be with you. God, for God so loved the world, for God so loved you and I that he gave his only son. Why? So that we can have relationship with him. Why did Jesus have to die for us to have relationship? Because God is holy and he can't coexist with sin. So a sacrifice had to be made. We're talking about priesthood. We're talking about sacrifices. Jesus was the last sacrifice so that we could come into the presence of a holy God. And when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin and our brokenness. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Our first love should be him and ministering to him. Our, the, the motivation for our service is always him. Ministering to him is one of the things that keeps the fire going and keeps the fire burning. You know that the Bible says that our, our, our worship is a sweet sound, that our prayers are like incense, that our sacrifice brings him glory, that he delights in us. If there's no outlet in your life, you'll grow stagnant. There's no outlet. You'll grow stagnant. It's one of the things that keeps us white hot. It keeps us close to his heart. It's to minister to him. And he takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in that sacrifice. It, you know, it, your worship doesn't have to sound like perfect, like Scott and Eve's songs. He, he, he delights in a joyful noise. Elodie says, Amen. I was like, that sounds like Elodie. You are over there. I thought you had just left. I thought she did announcements, cracked it about my joke about her singing, and just left the building. Hello back there. 
He loves it when we spend time with him. He loves it when we make much of him. He loves it when we serve him. He loves it when we bring a sacrifice of praise. He loves it when we pray. He loves it when we serve others because we're serving him. Our responsibility is to draw near to him and give him our very best in praise and worship and devotion and prayer. Not my, not my, my, my sloppy seconds, but my first, my first in my time, my first in my love, my first in my passion. It belongs to him. Thirdly, our responsibility as priests, because we have access to his presence, because we're sons and daughters, because we have an inheritance, because we're the display of his splendor, is to make disciples. Matthew 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you've been given the commission and the responsibility of making disciples of Jesus. You cannot let go of that. I am amazed at how many people like to claim the promises of Scripture and ignore the responsibilities and the commissioning of Scripture. You can't claim the promises without saying yes to the commissioning. If you believe in Jesus, you have been given the commission to make disciples. We're not professional Christians. It's not up to those who are on the staff of a church. It's not up to those even who are leaders. Every single one of us. Jesus didn't say, just you apostles. Just you disciples who have spent three years with me. Just you, know, just you few elect ones. No, no. He said, go therefore, speaking to the, the crowd, and make disciples. This is not the job of the pastor or the preacher. We all have a part to play, and we all have to say yes. No, I don't have to say yes. You don't have to say yes. But you do have to say yes. If you're saying yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to making disciples. If you're saying yes to Jesus and you're claiming the promises of God, then you have to say yes to the commissioning of God. I talk to so many Christians who want to grow, they want to, break, they want to see breakthrough, they want freedom, they want greater impact, but they're doing absolutely nothing to make disciples. They want the privilege of the priesthood without the responsibility. They want the individual without the family or the community or the body. Equal access and equal value means equal responsibility. You might go, I, I don't know how to do that. We'll help you. It starts by actually getting into a discipleship group or being discipled yourself. And then really quickly, like it's, this is not three years down the track, five years down the track. Literally, what you know, share it with others. What Jesus has done in your life, share it with others. When, you, when, when, when he does something, testify. Tell other people about it. You guys all right? Like few, there's a few of these. Like. Sometimes like, I, I'm really tempted to say, everyone get up, let's go out on the street right now. Because I think we breed an unhelpful culture in Western church. Because you're all sitting there looking at me preach at you about disciples and going, oh, yeah, cool, yeah, whatever. And we make, we make each other comfortable. Because you can sit there and listen to me and think, in, think yeah, yeah, that's cool, but I'm not going to do it. And we actually let you keep coming. Sometimes I'm tempted to be like, hey, if you're not going to do it, don't come. 
because we can't claim the privilege without the responsibility. And to do so is actually to spit in the face of Jesus. We have a responsibility, fourthly, to serve. To serve him and to serve others. The Old Testament priests served the Lord. And they served the people by offering sacrifices for their sins. As priests, we have a responsibility to serve the Lord and to serve others. What did Jesus say in Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28? He says, uh, it says, but Jesus called them to him and he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so amongst you. He's saying, we're not doing hierarchy. We're not doing, you get to lord authority over others and say, you come to serve me. He says, it shall not be so amongst you. Whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever be first amongst you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciples, you don't get the place of authority over other people. You don't get the seat at the head of the table. You get to serve others. Actually, you get to lay down your life for the sake of others, just as I lay down my life for you. This is not the come to Jesus, he's going to make you happy, blessed, and rich gospel. This is the come to Jesus, he's going to ask you to lay down your life for the sake of others, but you're going to be the most fulfilled, you will find happiness, because true joy is found in serving others and serving him. He's going to ask you to lay down your life, to lay down your money, to lay down your resources, to serve others, to give of yourself, to give of your very life for the sake of others, and you'll find no greater fulfillment and joy. A lot of people in churches trying to find joy and fulfillment and feel better about themselves and never serving anyone and going around the same mountain again and again. And they're sad, they're upset, they're depressed. They're saying, what's the point? There's no adventure. This is fun. Nobody looks after me. Nobody cares for me. They're thinking individual. They're thinking about only privilege and not responsibility. How are you serving others? It's not just in the church. I'm not going to say let's pass around the forums to sign up. This is in and out. This is just others. It's people. Because the church is people. And the world is people. We talk about the church and the world. It's people. It's your family. It's your workplace. It's the people you pass on the street. If you don't see people, you got to stop right now and say, God, help me see people. It's not just jobs. It's not just boxes to tick. It's people to love. It's broken people that need Jesus. I heard a story. Uh, we were talking in the office about um, a missionary that went to, like, the Amazon. Um, and he, he found a tribe, and they'd never heard about Jesus. And he tells them about Jesus, and they're, like, amazed at, at this. But their response was, like, when did he die? Like, when did this happen? They said, oh, well, 2,000 years ago. I said, well, then why did you wait so long to come tell us? Serving isn't just a good idea or a nice thing to do. It's a vital part of being a priest. Fifthly, we have a responsibility to participate. There's no spectator priests. There's no spectators in the kingdom. Look at the Old Testament, the priesthood. There wasn't certain priests that just sat and watched. Like, Deej, you're the priest for today. The rest of us get to watch you. 
No, all, all the priests had a role. All the priests had something to, 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 to do, to, to contribute. There's no spectators in the kingdom. See, in the church, we've created this culture of spectating, and it's very unhelpful when we talk about priesthood and about kingdom. It's a very old covenant mentality that somebody else will minister. It's the pastor's job to do the ministry. Yeah, I'm just here to listen and give my offerings. It's the, it's the leader's jobs to, to make disciples. I'm just here to sort of make up the numbers. It's very old covenant. It's very much, you know, the, the, the chosen priests will do the stuff and the rest of us just sit back and watch. Get, guess what? We are all the chosen priests now. There is no sit back and watch. The people who get to sit back and watch are the ones who don't know Jesus yet. And as soon as they come to know Jesus because we've done what we're called to do, they become priests. This setup, and I'm not, I'm not deconstructing now, but this setup is unhelpful in what the Bible's talking about, where we just sit. Because we all have a responsibility to participate. If we're all priests, and we all have the privilege of being priests, then we all have a part to play in the kingdom. Every single one of us. You are important to God's plan. You're vital to God's plan. If you don't step in to participate in God's plan, there are people that may not hear the gospel. You have a responsibility to participate, to get involved. We say this often, but the church was never meant to be a cruise ship. The church is a battleship. A cruise ship, you get on, you do what you want, you get served, you sit back, you order cocktails, you go to the pool, you do whatever you want. And then you get off. A battleship, every single per, per, uh, person on that ship has a purpose and an expectation that when battle comes, you're going to know what to do and you're going to do your part. If you're on a battleship and you pull out the banana lounge and you ask somebody else, hey, can you bring me a cocktail? I'm just going to lay out here. I think they're going to throw you overboard. The church was never meant to be a cruise ship. It was always meant to be a battleship. And every single one of us has an expectation to participate. I've got a couple more. I'm running out of time. I'm going to keep moving. We have a responsibility to bring our gifts and talents. This goes with participating. It's sort of the same point, but it's more than just participate. It's bring who you are. Like God's given you unique gifts and talents and abilities. Use them. He's designed you to be you. He's designed you in a certain way, and to, that, that, you know, the, the, his purpose in giving you the gifts and the talents and the, the creativity or the analytical mind or however he structured you is to be used for his glory. Bring those unique abilities and gifts and talents and use them for his glory. You don't have to be Gabby. You shouldn't be Gabby because Gabby is only Gabby. There's other people named Gabby, but they're not her. Just so you know. But we do that, though, don't we? We look at somebody and we go, oh, if only I could be like them. Don't, if only I could be like them. Be like you. Be like Jesus, actually. But use what he's given you. Be yourself. Fully you, full of him, as Ethan would say, fully sick. Fully you, full of him, and get involved. We have a responsibility to give. The Bible talks about 
giving of our time, giving of ourselves, giving of our lives. Yes, giving of our finances and our resources, but that's that which is least. Giving is part of being a priest. We carry responsibility together. It's not just about your money. It's about every part of your lives. But can I tell you this? You won't sacrifice or give of yourself if you haven't first disciplined and directed your heart by sacrificially giving of your money. The Bible actually says that it's our, it's our money or our resources that direct our heart. We're not gonna pa- don't worry, we're not going to pass the buckets around again. But, but there, there is a reality in this, that when we get it and we understand it, that one of the marks of maturity is that we carry the responsibility together. That we go, you know what? I, I don't give to the church, I give to Jesus. When I bring my tithe and when I give offerings and when I give apostolically and when I'm generous, I'm not giving that to Melbourne Lights. I'm giving that to Jesus. I'm putting it in the offering here because this is the storehouse. This is the place that God's added me. This is the family that when I see need, I go, how can I meet that need? But I know that it directs my heart. It's directing my heart toward this family. It's directing my heart toward him. When I say, Lord, thank you, I, give, I bring back what you've asked me to steward to you, that it directs my heart. Let it be more than this. Let it never stop with my money or my resource. Have my house, have my life, have, have my gifts, have my talent. I lay it all at your feet. There's a responsibility to give. I love that beyond basic giving, Acts says this of the early church. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds as all, uh, to all as any had need. It's not, that, can I say this? This is not communism. This is kingdomism. It wasn't give me all of your stuff, and I'm now the leader, and I'm going to redistribute it. It was, no, no. They saw a need, and they went, if I have a way of meeting that need, then absolutely, because we carry responsibility, we're a kingdom of priests together, I'm going to bring and meet that need. Still free will. Still free will. If, it, if it's not free will, then it becomes communism. If it's free will, it's kingdom. And they went far beyond in their giving. We have a responsibility to give together. I'm convinced, and I've seen in my 27 years of earning money, that you can't outgive God. I'm convinced that you can't outgive God with your time. You can't outgive God with your resource. You can't outgive God with your service. You cannot outgive God because every time I try and give away, He pours out as well. We become, rather than God, I want to have more, I become a conduit. It's not I'm going to give whatever it is so that I get more. Wrong heart. It's I want to give because I see that there's a need that I know that you want to meet. And when the heart shifts, we actually become a conduit that God can pour through. When the heart shifts, we stand in the place of Matthew 6. It says, don't be anxious about anything. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When the heart shifts, 
we stand in that place. If God, in the place of seeking your kingdom, I know that you're going to provide. Finally, we have a responsibility to minister to others. We cannot claim the privilege of priesthood and not walk in the responsibility. We can't claim the blessing of God and not be willing to bless others and meet the needs of others. We are not individuals. In the kingdom, we are a kingdom of priests to serve our Lord. And everything I do and everything I have and everything you do and everything you have is for him. And together, the world is being transformed. It's not just so that we have... It, please, get out of the Western church idea right now. It's not about bigger buildings, better buildings, more comfortable seats, better shows. It's about transformation. It's about loss being found. It's about those who are dead being made alive. It's about nations being transformed. Can we stand together? The privilege is to know him, to be known by him, and the responsibility is to make him known. Sorry if I sound like um, harsh this morning. I don't mean to sound harsh, but I just kind of, to be honest, at times get really sick of us playing games. Right? Sick of answering the same questions for the same games with no reality of let's change, let's have impact. So this morning, Lord, we respond to you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege. We thank you that we're a kingdom of priests. We thank you, Lord, that we're sons and daughters, Lord, that we are adopted into your family, that we have free access to your presence, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the inheritance. I thank you that you've given us your very spirit, Lord, but we don't want to stand in that place of saying blessing, 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 Lord, and not carry the responsibility. I thank you that we've been blessed to be a blessing. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are using us and we say, use us more. That you'd be glorified. Lord, where we have been immature and we haven't taken responsibility, Lord, this morning we repent. Lord, I say, use me. Lord, where I've withheld from you, when I say, all I have is yours. Where I've said, I want to claim the promises of priesthood. I want to claim your promises, but I haven't carried responsibility. Lord, I ask, would you change my heart this morning? That we would make disciples. That we would bring you glory. That we would minister to your heart. That we would keep the fire burning. Lord, I pray for those this morning, Lord, that, that feel like they've grown cold. Lord, I ask, would you breathe your breath upon the flame of their hearts that would fan into flame. Lord, a passion for your name. Lord, a passion, Lord, for the things of the kingdom. Lord, and then we say, we want to do what we can do, Lord, to stay close to you. Right now, if that's you, would you just ask him to fill you again? Lord, I ask you to fill us again. Where other things have, have, have crept in 
to take us away from your heart. Would you bring us back? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.